Thanks for joining us here. But before you buckle the kids in and play this on full blast, heads up, this podcast has some cussing and adult content. I'm Carla Tenike, a mother, sister, photographer, and friend. I started my podcast journey as a way to connect with people from all walks of life, giving them space to share their stories with me one person at a time. On December 14, 2012, 20-year-old Adam Lanza fatally shot 20 children and six adult staff members. Prior to driving to the Sandy Hook Elementary School, Lanza shot and killed his mother at their Newtown home. As first responders arrived at the scene, Lanza committed suicide by shooting himself in the head. The incident was the deadliest mass shooting at a high school or grade school in U.S. history, and the second deadliest mass shooting by a single person in U.S. history after the 2007 Virginia Tech shootings. The shooting prompted renewed debate about gun control in the United States, including proposals for making the background check system universal, and for new federal and state gun legislation banning the sale and manufacture of certain types of semi-automatic firearms and magazines with more than 10 rounds of ammunition. A November 2013 report issued by the Connecticut State's Attorney's Office concluded that Lanza acted alone and planned his actions, but no evidence collected provided any indication as to why he did so or why he targeted the school. Today I'm speaking with Nelma Marquez-Green, who lost her daughter, Anna Grace, in the shooting. Why don't we start at the beginning? I mean, when you got here and we were kind of talking, you were saying that there's life before... 12, 14, 12, and there's life after. Yeah. So well, let's start on the day and tell me, you know, because everything started early in the morning, right? I'd love to start a little bit before just okay. so that people know what our family was like. Um, I would love that. We moved uh, from Connecticut to Canada so that we could spend more time as a family, and we were there for three years, and Jimmy got this job at Western. And um, he got the job at Western, and we really felt like this was our opportunity to come home, be closer to family, um, and just come back home to Connecticut. So we had never lived anywhere outside of Hartford County before, so this was our first time. Uh, We looked at houses in lots of different spaces, and and Sandy Hook felt right. Um, I remember meeting with Dawn, the principal of Sandy Hook School, just out of the blue, and her saying... um, you know, I, I can't guarantee your kids won't have any problems here because I, I brought up the lack of diversity. Um, but I can guarantee I'll do anything in my power to keep your kids safe. And, you know, my husband and I feel like she died fulfilling that, fulfilling her word. Um, Anna was in first grade. Isaiah was in third grade, both at Sandy Hook School. And um, we were just finding the grocery store, learning who our neighbors were, scheduling play dates, and uh, the play dates were supposed to happen the following week because we were looking at Christmas break. Um, that Friday morning was just like any other morning. Lots of hugs, lots of kisses. Um, see you after school. And um, the last words I heard Anna say was to her bus driver. And she said, I said to Anna, don't forget to tell your bus driver that her gift is under our tree. So as she's getting on the bus, I can hear her say, there's something for you under my tree. Um, And those are the last words uh, I heard her say. She was probably dead 45 minutes later. Mm. How did you find out? 
what was the next step after dropping her off at the bus? Um, I had planned that day. My husband was at work, and I had planned that day to accompany a dear, dear friend um, to a medical appointment with her daughter. Uh, it looked like her daughter was showing signs of maybe having what could be uh, cancer, lymphoma, and um, I wanted to be there with my friend, and I had Friday off. So uh, we were at Yukon Medical Center when uh, we got a reverse 911 call that something had gone wrong. And um, we're driving back to Sandy Hook from Farmington thinking, there's no way, there is no way this cannot be real. We're in Newtown. There's no way everything's going to be fine. Um, at some point on that ride uh, from Farmington to Newtown, we'd reached my husband, and he was able to communicate to me that he had Isaiah, but they still had not found Anna's classroom. And because it was Anna's classroom, not Anna, you know, you think a class of 25, 26 kids or however many kids are, yeah. you know, like there's no way. Um, so we were, I was hopeful. I was hopeful. I was hopeful until we got to the firehouse. Mm. And that's where things got less hopeful. That's where they sent you in, as opposed to going to the school. Is that right? Right. Yeah, yeah. there was no way you get yeah. to get to the school. So that's where parents were being reunited with their, with their children. Caregivers were being reunited with, with their loved ones. So I noticed immediately that there were tons of photographers and news trucks and and I'm, I'm confused, right? Because when you're experiencing a traumatic event, mm. um, you're not processing everything all at once. Uh, there is no way your, your body goes into survival and it's just processing the information that it can take. Yeah. Um, so you're showing up at the firehouse and do you see Jimmy right away? See Jimmy right away, kind of hard not to see Jimmy right away in Newtown in a firehouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I noticed my son, and he is a gorgeous, gorgeous brown child, and he is no longer brown. He is as white as a piece of paper. Um, so I knew something was going on, but he didn't have words. Hmm. Um, so we were able to send Isaiah home with, a, with our friend, um, and... Uh, Jimmy and I stayed and waited and it was hours later you I mean you all your listeners all might have known before we did I think yeah. in the firehouse the dilemma was how do we tell 20 families and there were some families uh, of the teachers of the staff that were there too how do we tell these people that there aren't any survivors right how, how do we do this yeah. and you would think we would have known when they started sending in the priests the Red Cross, you, d you just don't want to believe that yeah. this could be you. So I kind of knew, I, Jimmy and I had already had this conversation. I said to him, no matter if they tell us she's dead or not, um, we did everything we needed to do so that we know right now she is with Jesus, she is in heaven, and there is just hold on to me. You know, How do you on. even start that conversation with your husband? I, I'm, I'm stuck at that spot. I cannot. You're, I'm a mother. You're a mother. Yeah. Mothers do what they need to do to support and rescue their families. And that's where I was. I had already hopped on the phone with my team. I was working at Klingberg Family Centers. I had two psychiatrists on staff, you know, three therapists. 
I had them. I was in the back, in the firehouse, in the kitchen, saying, okay, here's a situation. I think Anna's dead, and I think Isaiah saw it. Tell me what I need to do right now. Tell me, how do I save my son? Um, how do I get this done? Right. Mm. I, I think I just went into survival. Yeah, you did. For my son, yep. for my husband, and I was last. I remember telling Jimmy, we can't tell my mom. <clears throat> you know, don't tell my mom. Maybe somehow we can keep this from my mom for another few days, just until we know for sure and we can figure this all out. Please don't tell my mom. I didn't know at that point that this was a national, international. Right. You guys are kind of in a bubble. Everybody knew. Yeah. Everybody. My mom at that point already knew. knew. Um, So, yeah, survival kicks in. So survival and work, your training, your where your where everything everything just kind of. How do we keep Isaiah? Yeah. What do do I? I I can't lose two. Yeah. No words for that. So we have some very dear friends who were there, and. we gave them all jobs. It is your job to take Isaiah, make sure he's safe, pack a bag, get out of Newtown until we can figure out. Because we knew. We knew that in our home was going to be total chaos. Yeah. Um, and uh, our friends took Isaiah and brought him back in that evening until we had a plan on how we could yeah. discuss Anna's death. And we made that plan. And so then you and Jimmy are in, in survival mode with all these other families in the firehouse, how did they how did they tell you guys? How did they break that news to you? You know, your brain, I, I don't remember a lot, but I'll never forget, uh, and I've said this before, there are no survivors, is what the only words that I remember. There were lots, there was lots of more talking, there was lots of talking, but all I remember is, there are no more survivors. If you don't have your loved one yet, there are no more survivors. Um, that's all I needed to hear. I went home under cover of three jackets because everybody was trying to take pictures. I was ushered into a police car and I was driven home. On the ride home, I see three of my friends running from my house. They must have heard it and were trying to reach us at the firehouse and I jump out of the police car and we all fall into the street, hysterically sobbing because meeting me was a woman who's known, you know, three women who've known Anna since birth, who've known our family, who were so excited about about us moving back to Connecticut. They were so excited to have us home. And now this. So um, we were all huddled in a pile in the middle of the street, um, crying hysterically until the police officer came over and said, you guys got to get back in the car. The photographers are going to come. And we all got back in the car, and um, he drove us home. And that was our life. Police officers and first responders and cameras um, and tears and crying and life lost for, for a really long time. So what happens after that? Like, what happens after... I remember getting to the house. I remember getting to the house, and I'm laughing now because... I have very dear friends who were there that day, um, a group of seven amazing women, and I knew that they were going to fall too. So I remember getting back home and saying, Anna's dead. They say she's dead. And if you want to support us, you're going to have to go to therapy because this is going to kill 
all of us, not just our family, but all your families too. These women all had children who were close with Anna or were close with Anna themselves and our family. And um, I just kind of knew, I guess I was trying to keep people from hurting and hurting as bad as I knew I was going to. And um, it was a mother's desperate attempt to keep other people safe from what I knew was going to be a tsunami of grief. And it was, and it has been. Yeah. I was following along for the whole time and watching you from afar. Um, As I know a lot of people were and still are. Um, And it's interesting to see how it affects people, you know, and it's interesting to see, you know, like you were telling me how you have watched my journey over the past few years and how it affects you. And, and I'm not sure how often you think about how your journey affects a lot of people. You, you probably do. I mean, you're a national figure, you know, people know who you are because of, you know, the whole situation. And it's interesting to see that the transition from, you know, when you lose somebody three years ago to, to, to now and kind of where, you know, where people may expect you to be in your grieving process. Um, and where are you now? I think that's a, a really good question because e- people either think you're healing or you're not. And no. the path to grief is not that dichotomous. It's not either you're healing or you're not. No. Um, it's, I call it the land of and. You are broken and you are continuing. You are grieving and you are still loving. You live in the past and you live in the present. You loved and love really hard and figure out a way to make it work. Um, but we don't do this really well in our culture. We're, yeah. we're either getting, you know, you know, people whisper like, you know, did you see Nelba, how is she? Or did you see so-and-so, how are they? And it doesn't work that way. No. I, I can't, I would be lying to you if I said that there is any day I get up in the morning. And I want to be really mindful what I say because I realize that my son might one day hear these words, but... You know, he needs to know the truth, too. Mommy's still here because she loves him and she is committed to making sure he has everything he needs. Um, but Mommy died that day. You know, Mommy lives for Isaiah and died for Anna. And um, there isn't a day that I get up in the morning and say, you know, man, I, I, I wish I didn't have to be here. You know, we'll do what we need to do. We have started nonprofits. We have raised thousands of dollars. We have done this. This is not a journey I would have chosen. This is not a journey anyone would have chosen. No. No. And people get confused sometimes. It's like, oh, yeah, you were part of the Sandy Hook, and now you're this, so therefore maybe that makes things better. Or maybe your work somehow makes things a little bit more um, easy to take. Yeah, I lost a six-year-old that I love, and she had seven bullet holes in her body. Nothing makes that easier to take. Do we find great joy in serving other people, knowing that, You know, we've created pockets of healing for other folks through our charitable work. Absolutely. And I'm glad, you know, we have that outlet. Um, But it doesn't bring Anna back and it doesn't right the wrong. That is, you know, it's not just me. You're staring across from one parent. Today there will be eight parents who loved their children just as much as we love Anna, who will lose their kids to gun violence. Eight. By the time we go to bed... By the time this goes on the air, yeah, 
And it just keeps happening. And, and it happening. just keeps happening. And yep. it was really great that people sent trauma teams to Sandy Hook. It was people. It was really great that people sent a lot of support. And absolutely, we really needed it. But we've got to come to grips with the fact that, you know, there are a lot of communities where this happens. And the kids aren't getting trauma teams. The kids aren't getting mm-hmm. dealt with with compassion. The kids aren't getting um, talked to about loss and grief. Grief can't come in the classrooms because they got to be tested. Um, so that's part of the work we do. We bring awareness to, you know what? Everybody hurts. You don't hurt by zip code. You hurt. Yeah. So. How's Isaiah doing? Isaiah is an amazing child. You know, he remembers Anna verb, uh, vocally. Very, uh, She's very present in her home. Uh, he can talk about her. Um, he can't talk about what happened. Mm. And we don't make him. A lot of people think that in order to process a trauma, you have to talk about the event. You actually don't. Um, you just need people around you to support you and care for you, and you need to be given the control to decide when you want to talk about it. Yeah. That's something that people shouldn't take away from you. I think a lot of times kids and adults go through things, and there's this perception that, okay, talk about it, process. No, um, that's, your, that's, that's your call. Mm-hmm. We're just here to support you when you're ready. Um, So Isaiah knows he's got lots of people who love him. Um, He loves hockey. He loves music. He's getting straight A's in school. He's kind to his friends. He's got good buddies. Um, He is doing as well as we could ever wish for. Yeah. Without his best friend. Yeah. Without his best friend. Anna and Isaiah were very close. People ask me all the time um, about them. They're only 22 months apart, and they were very close. And she was... The leader, she was the one that was like, come on, Isaiah, let's do it. Come on, Isaiah, let's. Um, so we never thought he would speak again or because he didn't speak for a while. And yeah. um, we are grateful that not only is he speaking, but he's finding his way. And he's yeah. doing that, living in the present and honoring the sister he lost. Yeah. Because that's a complicated thing. I mean, grief is, I, I feel like in, in our country, grief is, it's kind of tolerated for a little bit, but then there's like, oh, well, you know, it's been a year. Okay, time to pack her room up or time to put her things away or maybe not have so many pictures around. Or there's like this process, I think, that Americans kind of forget, like you're allowed. There's like a grace period of, you know, grief. Um, and as you look around in my house, look at that big old banner of pictures of my mom that my dad made, I don't know, a few years ago, and I've not taken it down. There's an altar over here in the corner of people that have died that I look at every single day. And there's some people in there I don't even know. I have I have friends, I have family, I have people come by and bring a photo of someone they've lost and I keep it in my altar and I honor them every day, every day, multiple times a day. Um, and, you know, and I know in, in Mexican culture you do that, you know, in November, you don't really necessarily have it up all 24-7. But from when I moved in here, I set that altar up and I've not taken it down since. So that's just one of the things I do, and I think it's a healthy way for, to have my kids remember their nana and remember other people that have passed, and it, it just kind of normalizes grief in a way where they see me cry, they see me you know, talk about losing Eric and talk about losing my mom, and they know it's a part of life, and it's not this taboo subject, you know? and I think that that's part of, the, part, of, part of what makes processing it and going through it so hard is that it makes people uncomfortable. And then they, because of their own discomfort, they won't, they won't ask you and say, how are you? Not just, oh, oh, hey, how are you doing? In this light, you know, non, 
deep question. But when I ask you how you are, I genuinely want to know how you are. Because you, you know? get that there's a process and we're yeah. a very product oriented culture. Yeah. And the product is getting over, getting through, right? We love yeah. that story. We love that story yeah. of redemption mm-hmm. and triumph and yeah. And what most people don't understand is those stories don't come without a lot of this that what we're going through. Yeah. And it's not either or, either you're overcoming or you're not doing well at all. It's both, it's all of it. Yeah. I love how you honor, um, I, I love your process. And nobody gets to define product for you. How you honor your mom's life is really your legacy for her, right? Yeah. And nobody gets to define that but you. Mm-mm. And what a beautiful example you're giving your children. Yeah. A freeing kind of, of, of and yeah, it's, I just think it's beautiful. And I'm going to leave this pin there, if you don't mind, when I leave. I would love of, that. Of, I, I would love to yeah, have I'm going to leave this pin. I would love that. Absolutely. So it sounds like your house is like my house where you're, you know, you do have, you know, an, an open policy of remembering her daily and talking we can about hold her. It and, both. The human yeah. heart is capable of doing so much yeah. more than we, and we're so much smarter. Intuitively, we know that stuffing grief down is really unhealthy. Oh, we yeah. absolutely yeah, do. We but do. we're so afraid of discomfort. We're so afraid of saying the wrong thing. We're so afraid of that we just... We just, we just don't give it the space. So I, I can appreciate people who are willing to be uncomfortable, are mm-hmm. willing to learn and grow, and are willing to sit with me exactly where I am. That's the biggest gift you can give a griever. It's not, um, I don't know, it's like saying the perfect words. It's being able to sit with that grieving person exactly where they are in the moment. The gift of being present for them and not bringing your own stuff Yep. to them but just really allowing for them to be exactly where they are and normalizing it saying mm-hmm. that sucks I hear you um, your mom sounds amazing I wish I could have met her um, is there anything I can do to be helpful and and that's something we try yeah. to say a lot in our house yeah yeah is uh, one thing I'm curious about is 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 her room still set up Pretty much it's the same, except um, <clears throat> the bed. We don't have the bed there. Instead of the bed, Jimmy put his work desk, mm-hmm. and that's where he wrote the album, mm. that uh, Beautiful Life, that was nominated for two Grammys. Yeah. And um, so we feel like we still honor the space. You know, and I, I'm not judging people, because again, this is not about product. This is about process. There's some people who took their kids' stuff and, and, and immediately changed it. We still have ours pretty similar. Some have not changed at all. They're kind mm-hmm. of shrine-like. There is no right or wrong no. way. Mm-hmm. You know, there are just different ways. There are. And one of the things people always <clears throat> ask me is, could you help me help my sister? You're you're really doing this really well, but my sister isn't, and she lost her kid, and she just seems to be... It's like, dude, don't say that to your sister. No. Because you can't compare one person's grief journey no, to another. Can't. And mm-hmm. you don't know how I'm doing. I cry every day. I want to jump off a bridge every day. Yeah. I'm hanging on by a thread, and I'm sure your sister is too. And what she needs is to be supported where she's at, not to be compared to someone else who looks like a grief hero. Because right. I am nobody's grief hero. Yeah. That's an interesting thing to, 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 to call it a grief hero. Because I feel like 
I feel like I get that too because we are we are public with it. We are we sh- we put it out there. We put the good, the bad, or the ugly, the uncomfortable out there for people, mm-hmm. and they respond to it. And I feel like, you know, my perception is that we're doing what a lot of people wish they could do, but they feel so private and they have this discomfort with sharing because what are people going to judge their grieving process? Sure, maybe people they will judge everything. The but yeah, maybe they won't. Maybe they don't have the support. Yeah. To share openly, you know, and yep. I, there are a lot of people who don't have the support to be honest with where they're at. And that's yeah. our biggest issue culturally, that we're not yeah. offering people the support they need. Imagine a universe where Adam Lanza, instead of shutting down into himself, had the support to come out and say to somebody, I am awkward. I feel weird. I have anxiety. Something is really wrong. I don't have any friends and I need help. There's a good chance we wouldn't be sitting here doing this interview if yeah. my daughter would still be alive. Yeah. The fact that you can even say that with compassion in your eyes about the guy that killed your daughter is pretty powerful. It was my job before um, Anna died. You know, as a therapist, I am a mom, I still am a therapist. And that doesn't change that. I yeah. see, I know so many Adam Lanzas that if not for the power of community, mm. someone reaching out and saying, I see you, I yeah. got you, you don't have to commit a desperate act of attention and horror because I got you. You know, yeah. we're going to figure this out together. Yeah. Um, I talk to teachers across the country and they all say the same thing. There's an Adam Lanza sitting in every in every classroom yeah or the potential yeah so we really feel and we know that we've survived because of community yeah and i know that others survive because of community yeah which is a big reason why you had asked me earlier before we were recording why i decided to start doing podcasts and a big part of it is i feel like i and not even me, but you can reach so many more people and whoever comes and speaks and shares their story can reach so many other people that might feel alone and might feel just, you know, not able to feel the connection in like a brief Facebook post, but in a, in a conversation that that's lasts about an hour, you really get to know somebody's journey and kind of where they're at and feel connected. Um, and I feel like that's, you know, one of the things that in our in our world these days, that's like, there's the ebb and flow of connection with people, with being so disconnected with social media and there's no face to it, right? right. Like, I feel like I know you so much better than I do because of Facebook. <laughs> Me too. Right? Me too. Which yeah. that's like the blessing of it is that, you know, we do have this um, this fast friendship that's there. Um, and even before Sandy Hook, I, you know, was following you going out all the time with Kate. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, you're with my yeah. sister-in-law. Yeah, yeah. Like, you're Herbert High. And, you know, yeah. we had all these things in common that I'm like, I felt like I, we were friends already. Um, and I think that's a beautiful thing to kind of keep that going in any way that, you know, any avenue that we have to, to continue that and, and have those connections, but then, but then to actually have them become real, like to sit here and make eye contact with you and have this conversation is powerful. And for, to, for people to sit here and hear our voices and, and hear when I'm crying or you're crying or we're blowing our noses or whatever, it's real. It's, you know, and it takes it out of the, the, the place of, it being, you know, just social media and, you know, kind of at arm's length, you know? Um, and I think that's the important part is to be seen. And that, that's something, and I think it's like part of my life's work 
you know, ironically, it's being a photographer. Yeah, right. I see people, but I really see people. Like that's who I am as that's a human being. Yeah, is I see people, right. and I and and I allow them to feel seen, and I feel like that is your gift as well, with being able to just be and be present and with everything you've experienced to still have such a compassionate heart is so powerful and beautiful sometimes i don't know if it's compassion or selfishness i i really do want it is our life's mission to try to prevent or reduce violence through social connection yeah um if i could spare one mom and i've met many moms um two years ago I was with the Trayvon Martin Foundation with Sabrina, Trayvon's mom, and uh, 49 other mothers, well, 48, because I'm 49, uh, who lost kids to gun violence. Um, when you have that much pain in one room, 50 mothers who mm. uh, lost a child and one mother who'd lost both of her sons um, to gun violence, um, it changes who you are, it changes what you are, it changes what you stand for. Um, and I don't care where you live, I don't care what color you are, mm-hmm. um, this has to be addressed. And I want to talk a little bit more about Adam Lanza because some, so, such few people do, except in the context of being a monster. Um, that's what they call him in the paper. We have to get to a point in our society where we can acknowledge that his story did not begin on December 14, 2012. No. At some point, he was someone's little boy. Yep. He was someone's nephew. He was someone's neighbor, right? So how do we, and this is what we explore at the Honor Grace Project, how do we reach not only those children, but the parents, the family members, the neighbors of children like this who grow up to do things like December 14th? And what is it? And if if you're looking around now, social media is a double-edged sword. It could be something really wonderful for connection. It could also be something that you feed feeds hatred feeds disconnection Mm -hmm. there's so much ugly out there right now that if we're not having meaningful uh, relational how do I say this we are seeing kids more and more growing up in materialistic wealth and relational poverty right it's Mm -hmm. the opposite of what we used to have Mm -hmm. right we used to have at least in our how we grew yeah, up, right? Yeah. Broke kids with relational wealth. So yes. people knew, right? Yes. There was always someone and the other end of the neighbor who would say, Carla crossed the street when she shouldn't have. And they would call your mom. Mm-hmm. By the time you got home, <laughs> yeah. you would know because somebody, right? Yeah. And as much as we, I don't know, I miss that. I, I miss I the relational wealth that children used to have. And now we are seeing that replaced uh, with materialistic wealth and, and not much else. So, and that's not mine. That's Bruce Perry's. He's one of our board members, and he does a lot of work around trauma and isolation on the brain. Mm. So, that's such an interesting way to look at it. And like you just, I did you see me have that aha moment with you? I'm like, yes, that's so what's happening right what now. What you're giving your kids. I mean, yeah. I'm in this space. I'm in this beautiful, beautiful space. It looks like this party kitchen. And your roommate <laughs> said it's a community kitchen. Actually, this is a community space. Mm-hmm your kids are growing in relational wealth and that's really what helps kids be successful it doesn't mean that they will have problem-free lives or that they won't experience adversity 
But when they do, I can guarantee that they will be able to survive a bit better because that's how we've survived. Yep. Through the power of our friends and community. And we're relationally wealthy. Yep. You really are. You've got you've you've been surrounded by a pretty um amazing group of people. Um and I've known kind of secondhand because my um brother and sister in law are part of that community that have, you know, supported you guys and been there. Um, tell me a little From bit about day one. yeah. Tell me tell me a little From bit about your community. Um, I think one thing that happens with grief is that, um, and I'm just gonna put it out there, there are two kinds of grief supporters. There are emotional first responders, and then there's long term support. And your friends can't be both, and mm. that's okay. Your brother and your sister-in-law seem to kind of be both. They're the only people we know who are still both. And it's so bizarre. I keep waiting for the day that they go, you know, we're just not doing this anymore. This is too freaking hard. And they keep coming back. (laughs) And I notice myself sometimes trying to almost, in a dysfunctional attachment kind of way, push them a little bit. Like, you don't have to come this month. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, no, we're coming and we're making vegetarian lasagna. (laughs) (laughs) If you only have him come, Noah makes the best salad dressing. Oh, Oh, my God. So does Kate. They have them every weekend. It's just like I grew this in my garden. I know. Yeah, I have boxed Annie's mac and cheese. I know. (laughs) know, That's what I can offer you right now. They're amazing. But one of the things that I I wish people that knew is that your friends are going to fall into two camps. Because especially when it's traumatic loss, like the ones unexpected, you know, just kind of overwhelming cameras everywhere, you know, that, that lays other people out too. It's not just you. It's not just my grief. It's watching us. You know, we have friends who see the three of us now and they hide their faces to cry because they're used to that fourth seat and it's hard for them. So one of the things I had to let go is expecting relationships and friendships to be like they were before. They Mm -hmm. won't be. So hopefully your heart, when grieved, won't um, shut down Mm -hmm. and you will allow for space for both your first responder friends and this new wave that comes and, and maybe it's a little bit easier for them because they didn't know Anna. Or they didn't have to be there to kick ABC, CNN, NBC off of your front lawn. Maybe they didn't have to go to the funeral and help you pick out clothes for a six-year-old. Uh, all of those things accumulate. Yep. Does that make sense? It does. It's all really heavy stuff. And it must your, your, your friendships must have transitioned quite a bit. They did change. Um, and, and some I, might might have deteriorated. You might have lost friends. You absolutely. might have gained friends. Like I'm that. also not the same person, right? No. I'm, um, you can probably attest to this. When you're grieving, you have a lower tolerance for bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to find a nice way to say Oh, you can <laughs> swear on this, by the okay. way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but Isaiah might listen one day. And that's Sorry, my Isaiah. Word. Mommy said bullshit. <laughs> um, you have a, a, a lower tolerance for... Um, you know, I, I have a friend who lost her brother in, in, in 9-11. And it's been a while since 9-11. Mm-hmm. But she was telling me, 
that one of her friends just, I don't know, got in a car accident or something. And you know, when she really wanted to be there, but it was around the anniversary, and she just wanted to scream, are you effing kidding me? <laughs> a car you can replace, a person you can't. So it changes. I mean, mm-hmm. and this is a good friend, yeah. and she really wanted to be there for her, but she just, yeah. could, you change, mm-hmm. you change. You get it. It's not always going to be about you. It's not always going to be about Sandy. It's not always going to be about Anna. It's not always. But for me, yeah. it always is. Yeah. There's not a moment that it's not. Yeah. So if I have these periods of incredible graciousness where I can say, I'm really sorry you lost your gerbil, then I can do that. But there's some days I'm like, I can't. I know. I, I can't. Know. I can't grieve no. with you right now. No. No. Right? Because, you know. And no. I know that's going to sound terrible. Sorry, you know. Not sorry, not sorry. That's that's the reality. That's the stuff people don't want to tell you. No. They don't want to say it out loud. No, they don't. No, they don't, but it's true. And, and they don't want to hear it because you're the Love Wins Lady. I got to tell you. You're the Love Wins Lady. The you Love are. Wins Lady yeah. is a hot-ass mess. <laughs> just trying to survive. Just trying yeah. to... There are literally some days where it's like, you haven't showered for three days. You've got to get your butt in the shower you smell worse than your son when he goes back from hockey <laughs> you know you cannot go out this way like yeah. you cannot leave the house and say yeah. your husband loves you and adores you but don't push that too far <laughs> like shower and yeah. brush your teeth it makes you more when you're clean yes exactly <laughs> but he gets it you know he gets yeah. it so yeah now how's that how is how is that how how do you and jimmy navigate through losing your daughter to, to gun violence, and how do you how do you coexist as not only parents to Isaiah, but as partners to each other? And then, like in your grief process, could be wildly different than his. And then, how do you guys stay on the same page? Do you want me? Which version do you want? I want the, the sanitized on- version. No, I want the-, the honest to God answer. That's what I want. Um. It's really, really hard. It's why 80% of parents of murdered children end up separated or divorced. Um, It has not been easy, not one part. Um, Jimmy and I are high school sweethearts. We're also very different, really, really different. He's a golden retriever. I'm... I don't know, a yippee chihuahua or a pit bull. I don't know. I don't know. I am, you know, he's very well regulated, even keel. I am fight. He is, you know, just very calm and I'm, I'm not. Um, so my response to tragedy was, we're going to fight. Of course I'm getting on a plane. Of course I'm getting on Air Force One with President Obama and going to Washington Hell yeah, let's get this done. Yeah. You know, and Jimmy's like, I'm going to lock myself in a room. Although he did some of the things in Washington, his process was much different. Locked himself in Anna's room and started making beautiful music. Mm. That was his path and his journey. Um, It was hard for us to see that there was value in both of those things at first. Mm. And I think that's what did us in. The not the lack of respect we had for each other's path, mm. you know. I should maybe he thought I should be creating or home more, and I'm maybe I thought you should be out kicking ass in Washington with me. Mm-hmm. So that's where some of that 
rub came in. Plus, you think that when you have a murdered child, it will make your families more cohesive, and perhaps it can. Um, it can make your family even more fractured than it may have been before. Mm-hmm. So um, we didn't, you know, another thing is for your listeners, the loss of a loved one isn't just that one loss. Mm-hmm. It's also the subsequent cumulative losses, whether that be of additional friendships, additional family members, um, lots and lots of different things kind of rub. So we had all of that. We're trying to do this love wins thing and everything is falling apart. So that dissonance uh, made us uh, really vulnerable. And there was a time where I have to admit that if it wasn't for my husband, I'd be laid out in a beach in Fiji with an 18-year-old boyfriend. You know? And my (laughs) husband was like, wait, wait, I think this is grief. We maybe need to go to couples therapy. (laughs) He tells the therapist. (laughs) Yes, he does. But shit, that's another thing. People think, oh, okay, well, you're a therapist. You're good. You know, yeah, Mm -mm. yeah, no, Mm -mm. no. No. I lost my baby, you know, and I'm watching every day having to parent this kid who I know also lost his best friend and, you know, watching Isaiah go in something like going Isaiah, watching Isaiah go in the yard and play by himself. That would destroy me. It would just because, you know, you're sitting watching from the kitchen window going, this isn't okay. This isn't how it should be. And you're, you're hurting for him. You're hurting for him. Why is he on that playscape by himself and dealing with him now having to function as an only child when all he ever knew or all he ever remembered was being a big brother? That's, that's a big shift. Yeah. All of those things um, really kind of weighed us down along with dealing with our own grief. Um, one thing we never did, though, was blame each other. I know that that can weigh in mm-hmm. on, on certain couples. Um, we kind of had it really clear that this was not something we had done wrong. Yeah. Um, lots of people did wrong things, and we weren't, we weren't in that. So no. that, that was one thing that we had going for us. That and a lot of history. And yeah. people like Kate and Noah who were like, yeah. okay, guys, I know it sucks, but how can we be helpful? Yeah. Um, let's take you out for Lebanese food. And yeah. they were able to tolerate watching us up and down and up and down, especially in those early days. Yeah. They have a high tolerance, and that's what you need to be a, a friend of a griever, a high tolerance for ambiguity, a high tolerance for pain, a high tolerance for watching people suffer and then not owning that, being able to put that away, just going, hey, guys, you want a bite to eat? You know? <laughs> And it's a special They're kind of person. They're pretty remarkable. They really They're are. pretty remarkable. They really are. Yeah. They're really, really amazing. Um, and I'm so glad you're able to have them in your Us lives. Us too. We're, you know, yeah. we hope we haven't scarred them for life. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually a good segue for me to ask you how often people 
say, you know, have you found a silver silver lining? Has there been all the free you know, time? All you know, oh, everything happens for a reason. It's oh, like that's bad. What, are you like um, <clears throat> everything happens? Shit, not to say to a griever. Let's do it like a top ten, or top <laughs> five. Yeah. You probably have some. You oh, do yeah. some. Come on, let's hear it. You start. Shit, not to say to a griever. Yeah. Go. The, everything seven. happens for a reason. One gets on my last fucking nerve. Uh-huh. I swear. Yeah. I mean, even though it's like you know, in in life, I I try to embrace. You know, there there's something good that's got to come out of it but like what the hell good could come out of losing your child to gun violence really nope that's number 10 what's number nine you go i just said okay i'll do um god must have needed an angel oh for dang it that's the best one (laughs) slash worst god must have needed an angel no don't ever say that no don't ever say it no Totally drawing a blank on what other. I got one. To tell me one. You can always have another child. No, are you kidding? Have you thought about having another child? For me, the and I wouldn't know. Here's the thing. I probably would have said. I just want to say, let your listeners know. I probably would have said some of these if I haven't walked it. So take my mm. advice. Don't say them, especially if you haven't walked it. Yeah. So, so just don't ever ask a bereaved parent. You if, can always have another. Child. You can always at least. You, at actually, least you somebody can. said to Jimmy. At least your wife is young enough to have another child. And he said um, something like, but that doesn't replace the one we lost. That's a really personal decision. That If someone lets you in that sacred space, if a griever yeah. lets you in that sacred space because they're bringing it up, then go ahead, you you walk yeah. into it. But you don't ever assume that a new child can replace an old one. No. No. You don't ever have that. It's not like when your cat dies, you're like, let's just go get another one because we got to Some people do say that. Some it's people like, do say you can never, and they don't, no. they just don't get it. No. Um, um, another thing that people have said that's just kind of a top 10, don't do it, um, is just kind of reminders while you have to live on. You know, like, oh, well, come on, you have to live on. You know, you can't grieve forever. It's, it's kind of... You want to bet? <laughs> Right. Yeah. Right. You get that having had experience yeah. with losses, but um, I think when people see that it's years out and you still have trouble with holidays or basic living, right? Like yeah. yesterday was Easter. Well, Easter's kind of, you know, in our faith, you know, kind of the reason we know we'll see Anna again. But Easter's also really hard, yeah. right? So, um, yeah, kind of when they put the time limit, kind of they're letting you know mm-hmm. that they put the stopwatch on your grief, yeah. mm-hmm. or they're watching you and they don't think you're doing it. Kind of right. as well as you could be. <laughs> right. You can you improve know, your grieving You process. can improve your grief. Yeah. Just 10% if you follow these five rules yeah. that I read about in this book. Yeah. You know? It's like, yeah, no. That's not how it works. No, it's not. No. It's not how it works. <clears throat> um, no. I'm trying to think of more. But you should have another baby and um, Jesus needed an angel. Are like, yeah, don't. Pretty terrible. Ever. Don't forget about your son. That's. You know, it's, and I don't get these in person. You know, sometimes people will write, you know, weird things because we have these pages on Facebook. And it's like, man, how could I ever forget about my son? No. How could I ever forget about my son? Um, We want really clear uh, for Isaiah to not ever feel like it's his job to take care of us. It's Jimmy's job and my job to take care of our own shit with grieving. It's not his burden. It's not his responsibility. But we also want to let him into our grief process kind of like you yep. so that he knows it's okay mm-hmm. to cry. Yep. It's okay to not want to do this family holiday this time. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, and he's part of it. I and mean, He survived that. Thank you for acknowledging that. Too many people don't. 
They think gosh. he lost his sister, and that's the book. No, like he's he was terrorized. in a on in a day of a meshing. And you know, he didn't understand. He I, Isaiah lives lived in a world where if you follow the rules, everything is safe. If you do mm-hmm. what mommy and daddy or your teacher tell you to do, mm-hmm. you're gonna be okay. So that was his thing after Anna died. If because Anna was a rule breaker. Anna was, she did what she wanted to do. <laughs> um, and he did, I was able to articulate at some point early on in the, in the grief process, and we're so glad he said it, um, where if Anna had just listened to her teachers, maybe she'd still be alive. Why? He was angry. Why didn't mm. she just listen? We listened to our teacher in my classroom, and we made it. Why oh. didn't she just listen? And how do we, as two parents explain to our son that there was nowhere to run, that there was nowhere to hide, that the teachers tried to do everything they could, that they died trying to do this, and that the gun was just too big and he had too many bullets. How do we explain that? Mm. How do we explain to our child that sometimes you follow the rules and you can still die because we're too chicken ass and beholden to the NRA to make any real or significant legislation that would keep people safer, like reducing magazine limits. I'm not talking about restricting gun ownership. You want to go ahead and own a gun, go freaking right ahead. But why do you need more than 10 bullets in a clip? If he had 10 bullets in a clip instead of 50 and 30, maybe there's a chance that two or three more kids wouldn't have died, had more of a chance to run. I don't know. We made up something to tell Isaiah. And eventually we did have to tell him that it wasn't just your sister. It was 19 other children and six teachers, plus Adam Lanza killed his mom and himself. And I'll never forget, he looked at me and he goes, he killed his mom? And that's the part about losing a child to gun violence that people don't want to hear. How hard everyday conversations and everyday living is. Having to explain to an eight-year-old baby that, yeah, we do live in a world where bad things happen and a bad thing happened to us. And I kind of forget why we had to tell him. Oh, yeah, because he was afraid to sleep at night because he thought the man would do this, would come find him and finish the job. So he had to actually explain suicide in addition to murder. And that some kids kill their mothers. That's some complicated conversations to have with a little kid. It's a complicated conversation yeah. for adults to have. Yeah. And our basic answer to why yeah. for him was because sometimes people don't have enough love in their hearts. Whether it's been they experienced a bad thing or they weren't taught it from their family this was a person who didn't have enough love in their heart that day and they made a really bad choice, Isaiah. And I'm really sorry. And that's how we explained it. Wow. I still don't know if it was the right thing to say, but it is what we chose to say. We have been talking about you guys coming in to have a family portrait, which you say you have not done since losing Anna. Yep. Tell me how that feels. Um, I 
brutally sad. Brutally sad. I'm not supposed to have a family portrait with an incomplete family. That's not fair. Um, but it is Mother's Day, and um, I want a family portrait. We're thinking of mindful, meaningful ways that we can keep Anna in the portrait, and I want Isaiah to have something. And um, it's April, and you know what we've been doing on other Mother's Days is Isaiah and I have found a, a thing that we share, just the two of us. Uh, we've been escaping to Harry Potter world and mm. uh, Florida. We love the series, mm, love the too. movies. Yeah, it is the ultimate love wins mm. story, and how our families, our loved ones, are with us even in death. And not mm-hmm. only are they with us, but they yeah. can keep us safe. Yeah, because the power of love will always win over the power of evil. Um, so Isaiah and I really connected over that. He had been reading some before the murders, and then I got really into it after. So that's where we've been escaping to um, for Mother's Days since. <clears throat> yeah. And it is, I love Harry Potter. Me too. My mom and I had a big Harry Potter connection. Did you? Yeah. Oh. And, I, and I still like that one of the things I, I grieve over is she never got to read the last book. Oh. It fucking kills me. It like breaks my heart. Um because she was so into it and my, you know, my aunt, her sister was too, like they would go and wait in line and, you know, it was like a big, it was a big thing. And then after, you know, Thanksgiving, we would go see the movies cause they always came out in November. And so it was like this big family thing. Um, but I never really thought about it the way you just described it with, you know, with, you know, how his parents had died, but they still are a huge part of the story and he still connects with them. And even and in they death, keep him safe. yeah, they do. And I never really, and it didn't really, you know, it hit me the way that you, when you just said it, I'm like, oh my. It's the ultimate. Like, Remember when Harry tells yeah. Voldemort, you're never going to win because you yeah. don't know love. Yeah. Yes. And that for me, it's like, oh my gosh, it's the ultimate yeah. story. We got to go to Florida. Jimmy's like, you want to do what for Mother's Day and your birthday? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I want to go to Harry Potter World. Yeah. So, yeah. When is your birthday? May 11th. I was born on a Mother's Day. Really? I was born on a Mother's Day, and um, I love that Mother's Day, my birthday, celebrating <clears throat> a birthday without one of your kids is just brutal. So it is, and her birthday's coming up. It's April fourth. Yeah, yeah, we're having this big community birthday party. Every year, our goal is to raise a thousand dollars for each year she should be, and we take a hundred percent of the proceeds, and we. Um, we have these partner schools, mm-hmm. and we buy them things like violins and cellos and ballet shoes and tap shoes and uh, PA systems, yoga balls. One of our schools is really wanting to bring in yoga for classrooms, which is a, awesome. a program that talks to kids about self-regulation and meditation for life and healthy living. And they're so into it, and you can do it in any school, and they want it, but it's expensive. So we mm-hmm. buy stuff. We go in, talk to the principal, and say, what do you want? Yeah. We've got eight thousand dollars, yeah. and they go what? Because um, people don't do that, right? Yeah. Uh, most people, when they give, give with conditions. Sure. And that was our goal because we saw all the bullshit that happened after Sandy Hook. We saw how many things mm-hmm. were very misleading mm-hmm. in terms of giving. Um, many of your listeners probably gave, thinking they were helping the families when they really weren't, yeah. um, because of how things went down. So we want to make sure we give in meaningful ways, and that's how we remember Anna. 
And now how do you part, how do you choose which schools you work with? We get invited in. People will reach out to me on my Facebook page and say, hey, I want that here. It's better yeah. when you get invited instead of trying to show up to a party you weren't invited to. Yeah, right? <laughs> Is that awkward? Yeah. Is, I, I do that. <laughs> I'm here. Yeah, exactly. A little more complicated with the school system. So yeah. we wait for people to, to reach out to us and... We have this great lead teacher, his name is Craig Muzzy in um, New Britain, who runs a fifth grade classroom, and he was like, I'm going to leave teaching if uh, I have to keep testing and not be worried about kids' emotional mm-hmm. wellness. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to bring loved ones to my classroom. Um, mm-hmm. Can you can you help me do that? And I was, sure. So it, it's just yep. kind of spiraled. We're yep. in two schools, and um, we got an invitation to do eight more for next September. Oh, I so already I'm have a school to for you. <laughs> trying to figure out okay yeah. how do we build infrastructure and capacity to do this so um we're also in a documentary um, that's going to premiere at tribeca april 17th um called midsummer in newtown and it explores how the arts can provide a pathway to healing it features our family and it features an organization called the new arts which came into sandy hook and worked with a lot of the survivor kids and a lot of the kids in sandy hook mm-hmm. and kind of worked on art and music um as a way to heal. Yeah. So you were just talking about schools approaching you. They're inviting you to the party of this amazing, pro, uh, you know. Pretty much reinforcing what teachers already know. Yeah. That you can't teach kids who are afraid. Yeah. That you can't teach kids who are not feeling secure. Yeah. Right? That the first thing for children is security and safety. And mm-hmm. if for something's getting in the way of that, they're not going to absorb new information. Mm-hmm. You can't teach kids if they're not singing. You can't teach kids if they're not moving. And you can't teach kids if they're not doing art. Because your brain works all together and they can't work without those things yeah so we kind of do that that's awesome yeah yeah i definitely have a school i want to talk to you about after for sure in hartford um is there anything that you've ever wanted to ask me that you're shying away from that i could ask you that i could answer oh man that's like an open invitation i it's funny because i feel like we were getting into it before we were recording we were like just (laughs) Letting it out. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about the questions that people are afraid to ask. And I I honestly think it's, you know, you've answered a lot of what I was thinking about, you know, and I think about it a lot. And I think about, um, and I don't know if people tell you, tell you the things that they, they go through and they think about when you tell them things. For example, when you and I were messaging about, um, the Mother's Day pictures, um, this happened. Because I was picturing me trying to do a family portrait without my daughter. Right. Right. And I was standing outside, um, and my knees buckled, and I went down. Um, I, all the air this escaped my chest. Um, because, you know, when you watch something tragic happen, there's almost this kind of distancing yes that you do to to preserve yourself where you're like yep that's on tv that's on the screen that's not in real life um and i don't know if i told you i didn't watch any news coverage i i couldn't i couldn't do it um i shut down when 9-11 happened i got really really depressed and it was a year before he was born and i could i stopped watching the news after jack was born and i i was going to be a, a, reporter, a journalist. A journalist. Yes. I was going to be yes. a journalist, um, and I I couldn't handle I couldn't handle it after having him. It changed my life. Um, and when Sandy Hook happened, I didn't see one news thing. I didn't even know his name. I'm not even kidding. I didn't know Adam Lanza's name until today. Nope. So this is a very interesting interview. Like 
I've followed you and I've been invested in you, not anything else. Right. And I you. appreciate that. But because it's, a lot of times it's the opposite. Yeah. It's a scary thing though, because and it's a self-preservation thing for me because I kept, I, I did what I, what I ended up doing that afternoon in the back when I just lost it. And I, I felt it. Yeah. And that's you why know? I don't blame people when they can't be there all the time. In order to survive, some people have to pull away from that. Yeah, um, I get that. What you experience, our friends have experienced every day since December yeah. 14th. They can't do that every day. They have no. to move on. They have to no. go to work. They have to love their children. They have to. So, was it hard to realize that we would lose friends after this? Intimate, close, wonderful. Yes, it was brutal. And also out of respect for self-preservation, what you just said, um, we get it. It's why sometimes we're kind of pariahs um, because we're super cool, right? Like, you know, Jimmy's this musician, yeah. sexy guy, yeah. you know, great teacher, wonderful. I've got this nonprofit. <clears throat> we're pretty cool people. But there's this, bro, we show up to your house with eight bags <laughs> full of grief. Yep. And I get it. Not everybody can open those. No, they can't. They really can't. And I, I mean, I'm one of those people that I totally can. I'll be there. I'll be a mess. <laughs> I will cry with you. I will have uncomfortable slash comfortable silences. I, I can hang through it. Like, I really, really can. Um, but it just, you know, and I, th I feel like, and I know a lot of people that they can't. And they do that. They they. They stuff it down and they don't want to feel it. And, I, and I've been feeling it since we've had the conversation about doing the Mother's Day portraits. And even today, you know, I'm, you know, even before you got here, I was talking to Joel and I was crying and he's like, what's the matter? And I said, I feel so guilty because I get to see my daughter. And I haven't seen her for like four days. And I'm so excited for when she walks in the door. And then I feel like, ugh. I'm going to have that one day. I know I am. It won't be now, but I'm going to have it one day. And I, I hear you that you feel guilty, but I am so thrilled that you get to have her and that you're appreciating every day I do. that she's here. I really right? do. That you're yeah. loving every moment and that you're giving her these gifts and that you're there for her. Um, and it's 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 also like you know because I don't I'm one of those people that I genuinely don't thrive off of guilt. Guilt doesn't play a big part in my life right. at all. It really doesn't. Right. And it's a rare thing. Yeah. I, I'm a rare person. Yeah. But it's more the like I want this for you. I want. Yeah. I, you know, and it's it's this like helpless. And angry. remind your listeners that we're not helpless, right? Every time an opportunity comes up to advocate, even if it hasn't touched you personally. Yeah. You know, if you're listening to my story now and they can in any way sit in the space you are where they can imagine what it would be like without their loved one. And it doesn't have to be a child. If you have a niece or a nephew, every time something comes up legislatively or build awareness or and remember that a kid shot in Hartford, you know, their mother cries just as many tears, maybe even more so because they're not going to get the financial attention or community sympathy and empathy that Sandy Hook did. For many of us, our kids became angels. Mm -hmm. I can tell you from talking to Trayvon's mom's experience, Sabrina, 
her child was demonized. Mm -hmm. And you saw that in the media, right? And that added a layer of crap for them that interrupted their grief process. So... Which isn't fair. That's it's not, it's not fair. fair. It's not fair at all. You know, to lose a to lose a kid and then have him judged. portrayed like that and judged is just it sucks. It it does. Um, we know a little bit of that, and it is pretty um, overwhelming. But you know what? I got to a point where I was like, because I do care deeply a lot about, but but that's something that goes away when you're grieving. You f- you realize that you can't survive if you're constantly trying to please people because nobody's going to take care of you. Nobody's going to take care of you. You have to take care of you. And you have to teach others around you yeah. how to take care of you. My women friends now who didn't know Anna but are kind of walking with us in this journey of gr- grief, I give them a lot of credit. They don't know what the hell to do <laughs> with us, with yeah. me, with... Let's see, sir, do I say Happy Easter? Do I yeah. say... Do I bring flowers? Do I not... They have no yeah. idea, but they're willing to say, we'll be with you on a journey. Yeah. And that's very special. Yeah. And I might say the wrong thing and I might hurt your feelings but one day. But then there's grace. Might, yeah. yeah. There's and then you're grace. just, you, you kind of fumble through it and talk your way through it. I and... have a dear, dear, dear friend who's a triathlete. She's amazing. Mm. She's a triathlete. And she, the only way she knows how to do stuff is 150%. Mm. So this grief thing is hard for her, right? Because for every right. problem, there's a solution. For every problem, there's a solution. Right. You know? So so just maybe exercise more, maybe sleep more, maybe meditate more, maybe run more, maybe. And grief is one of those problems or one of those issues that, that it's just process-focused. Now, where are you at now with, um, you went to the gym the other day? I decided 51 pounds. Yeah. Was a little bit maybe too much for somebody who's 4'11". Which, for the record, can I say, how the hell small were you? That I was 110 pounds. Because <laughs> like... I just was in Canada, and I was eating healthy, yeah. and I'd lost a bunch of weight there. Yeah. But I was... Hi. Hey, girl. Come here. We're recording a podcast right now, but... And you're a part of it. You are a part of it. I'm just talking about you. So you were asking me something that I forgot. Jim, and taking care of oh, yourself. And, th- and this is something that you and I have been messaging about yes, over the years. Because, because I've, I've been so inspired by you. But that's another thing. People think it's like, oh, okay, you're going to lose weight. No, it's going to happen. It's like, dude, oh my God, it's such I a like process. cake. And it's a process. Yeah. And I like to eat. And you know what? It's probably the least destructive way for me to... Was the least destructive way for me to function, right? Mm-hmm. It was cake. And cake was... Cake was your friend. better than wine, maybe mm. better than other things, right? Yeah. Than being in Fiji with an 18-year-old pool that boy. That sounds pretty great, though. Yeah. That sounds Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> but let's work on that for me. <laughs> okay, fine. Hello. I, I can totally help. I did, did some research. Um, yeah, so just trying to get my weight back under control. Yeah. How does that feel? Uh, empowering and frightening. Right, because it's another yeah. layer away from Anna, and as Isaiah says, "But mom, every day away from her is one day closer." And I'm like, "That's Whose deep." Whose child are you? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We were talking about the seasons, and I was mm. saying how um, sad I was that you know we're getting closer to winter, and because mm. I really love summer, and he was like, "Every day, um, every day." Further away from summer is 
closer to summer next year, Mom. And then he goes, kind of like, huh? So, yeah. Wow. So, um, how would you, do you have a plan for working out and My getting healthy? My plan is to or? love me. Yeah. To love me. That's a big plan. Yes. Yeah. My plan a... is to love me when I feel unlovable. And I do feel pretty unlovable a lot. Uh, my plan is to love me when the grief is overwhelming and I feel like I'm not getting it right. Um, Why do you feel unlovable? Because I can't make everyone happy. Because I can't fix this. Hmm. Because I don't want people to hurt when they see us. Because I don't want to hurt. Because I don't, you know, because kind of a mom loses a kid to gun violence. You know, put my, when, when those dark demons open up, and I'll be really honest, I don't think I've ever talked about this before. One of the questions that I have gotten before that makes me feel, you know, really incompetent as a mom is, you didn't have an inkling. You didn't, you didn't perceive anything. And I know it's a very curious question. No one is blaming me for not knowing what was going to happen. However, you know, when you hear that, you're thinking, should I, should I have you read all these stories about people who kind of knew, you know, this and you kind of knew. And I'm thinking. Because they had a crystal ball? What a stupid fucking question. I am sorry. Whoever asked you that. I, I, have. I, I am know, but I didn't pissed. have. I didn't. Ha- I, I didn't. So you, you do kind of feel. Oh, God. I, how, how did we pick? I mean, we knew to this. Mm-hmm. How did we pick this house? How did we pick this school? How did we pick this day? Why? Why? I used to pull the kids up out of school all the time. Let's go to New York. Let's just go to New York. Mm-hmm. You know, or let's just go bowling. Because school is... Bowling is fun. Classroom, <laughs> yeah. you know, and school is outside. And yeah. we finally had this life where Jimmy was working. I worked Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Monday and Friday were my days off so I could be... We were living this life I could only... So different than me growing mm-hmm. up where my parents just had to hustle so hard. And don't mm-hmm. get me wrong, we still hustled. But yep. it was different. We were finally at that place. Yeah. And then to have this happen, I do sometimes feel like, damn, you know, damn, am I, I, I don't know how to explain it, but I, I've always suffered from depression and that probably has something to do with it. But there's no way you could have known. You do, you, you have to know that. On my good days, I know that. On my yeah. good days, I know that there's no mommy instinct in me that should have been able to kick in and say, no. Your child is in danger. On the good days, mm-hmm. on the bad days, I, I, I say, damn it. Why couldn't that have been the day that I decided to drive the kids to school or take them bowling? And then you're going to live your life a prisoner to that forever and ever and ever. Because I, I think of that and I, and I, you know, and I think probably all parents on some level have that little yep. thing in their head where... Uh, you know, like when they're with their dad and they're not with me, I'm like, I don't know where they are right now. I don't know who's driving the car. I don't know if they have their seatbelts on. I don't know if they're at somebody's house and I don't know who's at that house. I don't know if they're sleeping over somewhere. And I have this like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I'm not in charge. I'm not in control. And right. even when they're with me, right. there's things I don't know and things I can't control. And you you could just spiral out of control into like crazy town where you just become this obsessive control freak trying to protect your kids from... Things that you just you just can't protect your kids from. If you, you talk, can't. If you talk to parents who have kids um, with long term illnesses or have lost their battles, it's very similar to their process. Mm. I saw the lump on that knee, and I thought maybe they had a bruise, and I didn't take them to the doctor for three days, 
and maybe if I had taken them that very right. first day, right, we could have had a different yeah. outcome. It's that maybe, and you're right. It's a train. It's a one way ticket to crazy town. It is. It's like <laughs> it's you could just spiral out of control and, and that's never what come the back community from it. Is for, and that's yeah. why you need people around you who are going to say, you know, you can visit crazy town. We're giving you until three o'clock. And then we're going out for Chinese food. Mm, and I want to go out for right. Chinese food. Exactly. Exactly. I don't want to go to crazy yeah. town, but <laughs> yeah. We're, we're we'll giving you, you till three. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, if you're not like done by, we're not letting you fall. And um, mm-hmm. I think this is the first time I'm actually putting that into words for thanks for the freeing space. There is I'm quite glad. a level of responsibility that you get by being a person that seems to have done this grief thing really well. Mm-hmm. And I don't think. People ask the hard questions, so I thank you for asking the hard questions. I'm glad. I'm well. I mean, I I feel like, you know, having an understanding of it and and like the the ugly side of it and the the part where you're like, I haven't showered all week, but my girlfriend just brought me out. I feel so much better. Thank you, Sangria. You know, like yes. I got it. I was like, yes. I get it. I yes. understand. Yes, I do. And and you know, you may, that's not the stuff you necessarily you know, make public or post and put everywhere. And, you know, you're not Instagramming, like, going on day four without a shower. Like, yeah. well, maybe we should. Yes. I don't know. Um, but that's the real part of because it. Because then people think you're going to crazy town and don't come. And one of the reasons I'm hesitant to post those things, although I have, is that people don't get that it's not a stay in that place. Yeah. It's a visit. And that the grief journey includes includes visits there. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? It does. So you go ahead and you say, you know, I've had a really terrible week. And people are like, oh my gosh, you got to read this book. Are you taking your meds? Are you doing this? It's like, no, no, no. Don't give me advice. Just love me where I'm at. Yep. That's great advice, actually, right there. Because I think when people say, what can I do for you? Love me where I'm love at. Love me where I'm at. Just sit with me. Ask me about her. Ask to see a photo album. You know, ask for her baby socks. Ask, help me. Yeah. You know, help me. And that helps you to talk about her and to relive memories and to... There is mm-hmm. one thing I haven't done yet. Um, we got the box back. The box of the clothes that she was wearing the day of the shooting. Mm-hmm. And that's the one... For me, the final frontier. That's That's the one thing I never processed or open the letters the 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 other stuff you know I I but there's this one thing I I can't do and I asked for everything I asked for the autopsy report I went to see the school I was like give me every bit of information because I don't want to read about this in the paper or I don't want someone else knowing something about my daughter that I don't know so give me everything but if there's one final frontier I haven't been able to go through it's that box and most grievers have that one or two or five mm-hmm. things that they, and there may not be a time. I may not ever open it. Um, in this Has Jimmy time. opened it? Nope. Nope. I'm going to tell you, and I, I think you know this already. It's There's going to be things that happen that you're not going to even see coming. Yep. Like, and it has a lot to do like with watching physical stuff. You, like watching you hug Georgie and hearing you say, I missed you. And hearing her say, I missed you too, mom. Like, I was watching that going, I've seen this 15,000 times with other friends. But it was like having this conversation, being in your house, knowing what you just said about your knees buckling, and then watching it unfold me. The future that I will never have. The present, I don't. That was taken because we don't have a comprehensive way of reaching people who are in need. 
that's through gun responsibility and that's through mental health. Yeah. Um, someone took that 20 times and eight times a day. That was, that was powerful. I'm glad you got to be there for that. I'm glad I got to see it too. Because I haven't seen her since I cried about thinking about taking a portrait without her in it. So since I had that kind of in my heart, I've been like, oh my God, when are they going to be home? When are they going to be home? And I've been like texting them. They're not the greatest texters, but I ask them every day, like, what are they grateful for? What are three things they're grateful for? So I ask them every single day when they're not here. And they um, and they answer. And normally we write them out and ha- have them up on the, the thing there. So they both have to write theirs. And I'd like you to write yours too if you have three things you're grateful mm-hmm. for before you go. Um, well, one of the things I was going to tell you, uh, in, you know, in addition to you being present for that, um, are things that might lay you out that'll be unexpected um, are weird things and I don't know what they what they could translate to be with Anna with you but like with my mom I I lost it when I finished her powdered creamer that I took from her hospital room she loved coffee and so we keep the powdered creamer in her room and so when she died we took all of her stuff from her room and I had it in my house and I'm like well I can use this creamer all right great and it took forever because it was a gigantic one from like BJ's. Mm-hmm. And when I finished it, I cried my eyes out. It is like n- not even name brand creamer. It wasn't even like coffee meat. It was like generic creamer yep. that I finished. And it was as if my mother died again yep. after using creamer. And then the other day, I think I posted a picture of these Ziploc bags that we got for the search party for Eric. And I lost it. That I, I was like, we finally have run out of these Ziploc bags that we had during the search for him. And then I found some more, and I was like, like he's alive, he's dead. It's they're fucking Ziploc bags. But it's, it's almost euphoric. That yes, it's almost so so dumb. And they weren't even his. They were bought by somebody I didn't even know. People were dropping off stuff for the search, and I went home with a bunch of things because I was in charge of the search party. And I had all these Ziploc bags. Like, you just don't know what they're going to be, what it's going to be that's going to, like... And I, the other day, I had to clean out my car. I had to turn it in, and I have this bag. And in the, I had that car when Eric was missing, and I have the original map of where we searched. And I'm like, it's just a map, but it's got all our writing on it. It's like, what do I do with that? But it's not him, you know, and the things that are hers aren't her. And the things that were my mom's are not my mom. Right. But it's a really easy thing to say, but then a hard thing to translate into, you know, if you ever change her room, if you ever even change the layout of one room and you're like, Anna was never in the room when it was set up like this. Like that kind of stuff. Like has stuff happened like that Absol- for you? Absolutely. You know, we just had a, and, and I have to tell you, I remember the creamer. And I remember the bags because I Facebook stalk you. I'm part of your community. You are part of my community. Um, just following the journey. We had recently a, a pipe burst in our basement when we were at the Grammys, actually. So we walked mm. back in the house to five inches of water oh and heating oil on top because I don't know how the heating oil got down there. But anyway, total loss, hazmat, you know, like everybody came. 
we have this 10 maybe $12 Ikea stool that Anna used to read on Anna was a voracious reader she mm. was only in first grade but she was reading chapter books and wow. the rule was that everybody had to read three books well that's because the other kids had some children had the word books and Anna would be like no I have to read it's like Anna there's no way your teacher has an expectation that you'll read three cha- whole tired chapter which like <laughs> no but Mrs. So-and-so said you know and yeah she, yeah I'd be like well I can't because the whole thing was I have a parent listen to you I said you have to sit in that chair while mommy's making dinner, so I will listen to you read. But maybe we can do one chapter from each of your three books, and, and that will be interesting. Mm-hmm. Just read and read. And she read there from September to December. And it was just a stupid $12 Ikea stool. Mm. And when we lost everything in the flood, I thought that we lost that stool. And when I realized it, I went... You know, I couldn't find it. And it was like you described. Like, I don't get to have anything. My daughter's dead. No, they took the fucking stool. And how yeah. could they not know? And how, yeah. you know, like, I'm, I can't breathe about the stool. Yeah. And I worked myself into this huge thing. And I was incredibly sad. I sent Isaiah downstairs to look for the stool. And he's like, Mom, I can't find it. And we're like, just, I can't have anything. I can't. God, why would you do this? The stool. You got to take yeah. the stool now too. Yeah. You know that. That's me. And Jimmy goes downstairs and goes, "It's right here. Like it's it's right here." And I felt like she had just walked through the front door. Mm. And it's just a plastic stool. So yeah, I get that. And if your friends not yeah. are not in that place, so I needed to call my friends and say I found the school stool and have them say, "Hell yeah, you found the stool." Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. make this meaningful, folks. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> high five me, even though they had no idea what was going on. Right. And I was so grateful that they could be happy yeah. for me. Um, and I know you have friends who are happy for yeah. you. And that get that creamer is more than just creamer. It is more than just creamer. And plastic bags and maps. Yeah. And $12 stools can mean the world to someone yep. left behind. Yep. Does that make sense? It does. It really does. It makes, it makes too much sense, unfortunately. But it's a beautiful thing to be able to find that person in the, in the, in the, in the object or whatever and kind of have that moment with them. And, but it is unexpected. And it is like one of those things like you, you just think, gosh, you know, how many more times can I be leveled? And it just keeps happening. I think over we will and over. be. Yeah. Someone once told me the depth, of grief, the depth of grief only matches the depth of love. Yeah. And that reassures me that Anna was surely loved. Yeah. And your mom yeah. was surely loved. And Eric yeah. was surely loved. Yeah. That's a beautiful it's a beautiful thing. I and, and it's like you wish that they could see that. Like that must is is that ever something that you think about where like God was she and I know she was a little girl, so to even have the concept of like how famous she is, how many people know who she is, how many lives she's now affected because of her death. She always wanted to be, she wanted to be an American Idol. She wanted to be, you know, a recording star like Daddy, a pop singer or a teacher or a cat or a spider, (laughs) depending on, you know, the day. Um, What I love about people who have fallen in love with Anna is that they're so diverse. I got old white ladies from Oklahoma and... Um, you know, people from cities all over. We got mail from countries all 
over the world. They connected with this little girl. Mm. And I know this is going to be really weird, but that's how her funeral was too. Mm. There, there was no racial divide that day. There was no theological divide that day. There was no age divide that day. People just showed up and were able to be. And I think that's the power of Anna. She's able to draw folks in from so many different walks of life. Mm. Um, and it's really much how we had a super diverse dinner table. Mm. Um, super diverse dinner table. And that was a value that we instilled in them. You know, like we have these things. This is who we are. This is what defines our family. But that's not what defines our friendships. Yeah. What defines our friendships is love. Yep. Um, so we were able to be incredibly wonderful friends with, you know, Noah and Kate. And, mm-hmm. you know, just because people are people. And, mm-hmm. and I think she was able to to really benefit from that and she has given that back to so many if you look at my pages people are now connecting who normally otherwise wouldn't yeah and all because of this little brown girl who i call caramel princess um and who said lots of really neat things like don't let them suck your fun circuits dry mom <laughs> which is hers absolutely hers and if i'm fun ever going to write a book i'm going to write yeah. that book um, a few weeks before she died, I was really stressed out about something, and she just looked at me and said, don't let them suck your fun circuits dry, Mom. <laughs> That's great advice. For a, for yeah. a six-year-old, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, what are the things you miss the most about her? Everything. She completed our family. Um, I miss the girl energy in our home. Yeah. That really shifts yeah. quite a bit. Um I miss mostly that she didn't get a chance to make a significant contribution in this world, that she didn't get a chance to live, um, that she was only six. Um, I miss that she didn't get a chance most of all. Yeah. Yeah. In my observation as an outsider, kind of just looking in, it seems like you are just carrying her legacy on. You're the love wins lady, you know, and is that, is there ever a time where you're like, I just don't want to be the loved one's lady right now. I just want to be a grieving mom. I just want to be... I do think... I mean, it's gonna, that's going to bring me to tears because this was an incredibly difficult weekend. We've had, you know, it was a holiday. We've had some family stuff going on. And um, yeah, there are days. Um, there are There are days where you just feel like, you know what? How can I be the loved one's lady? when my life is so complex, right? When, um, when your own shit is like struggling, um, whether that be with family or with friendships. And then I think about other people who've made change in our world and I'm thankful that they didn't wait until their shit was together in order to do the job that nobody else could do but them. You know, I'm glad Gandhi didn't say, you know, I'm going to wait till I have perfect relationships mm-hmm. with everyone. Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King, mm-hmm. you name the hero. Because mm-hmm. I think everybody's waiting for someone like that. And in our minds, mm-hmm. we've kind of created them to be these perfect people without flaws. Yeah. And um, we are flawed people that can still bring change. So on the bad days when I say I can't possibly be the love wins lady, how can I be the love wins lady when my mother-in-law doesn't like me? How can I be the love wins lady when my sister doesn't talk to me? I tell myself that that's part of this too. 
That's some hard stuff right there. It is. Is that new? Or has it always been? Family baggage. Everybody, you know, Mm -hmm. what do they say? Family is like a Sunday. Lots of sweet and then a little (laughs) on top. (laughs) (laughs) That's a nice way to put it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and everybody has their stuff. And I can't expect that people will be gracious to me just because Anna died. I can't expect to expect to have do you want them to do you want to just say I would love to have a testimony and I would love to say can you guys give me just you know just a little bit of of slack here um but you know let's lots of people identify with that piece of the story right Mm -hmm. I keep having to tell myself that I don't have to be perfect to be effective yeah, that's got to be hard, too, because, I mean, there is that... We were talking about thresholds and and tolerance levels, and that's got to affect a lot with your family, you know, with just... Especially when you're used to being the caretaker. Yeah. Right? I'm in the firehouse thinking, how will I take care of Jimmy? How will I take care of Isaiah? How will I take care of my mom? Mm-hmm. How will I take care of... And I think that's something women do that we need to stop. Yeah. And I'm sorry that I learned that lesson only after... December 14th. And then who took care of you? Do you feel like you were taken care of? Um, I had to learn how to do that for myself. And I'm growing and learning and trusting that other people, as I teach them, will will learn too. But that's mm-hmm. real complicated. I'm, I'm trying to figure that out. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to figure out how to take care of Nelva. Yeah. Um, that's something that women can be incredibly neglectful Yes. And, you know, we are, it's great to be so sacrificial and uh, serving of others, mm. especially my Latino, Christian, firstborn daughter. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, right? your role is service and caretaking. Um, but that self-care piece is incredibly important. Of course it is, because if you're not your best self, how can you caretake? Oxygen mask on you first. Yes. And that's the theme of this post-1214 time. Uh, Oxygen mask on you, how will that happen? So when you're used to trying not to rock the boat because you just want, Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you're like, you know what? I don't care. You know, it's it's a very big shift. I also noticed... <clears throat> you mentioned on your Facebook wall about how you are going to start posting more pictures of yourself. I am. I have been trying to use every filter on the planet to somehow mask this weight gain. And then I thought, that is not kind Mm-mm. to myself or to anybody else. I'm kind of saying love wins, but then I'm saying love can only win if you have perfect relationships. Love mm-hmm. can only win if you're not 51 pounds overweight. Love can only win when you have your stuff together. So it's like, no. Yeah, you're saying we got to make yeah. love when throughout and in spite of all of this, just like we're doing it in grief. Yeah. Um, it's not if you're thin and if you're, you know, sister's talking to you today. Yeah, it's all the time. It's all the time. And that yeah. is hardest to do for you. That's yeah. way harder. It is way easier for me to give grace to Adam Lanza than it is for me to give grace to Alba. And that is... Do you hear what you just said? I did. I do. It's easier for you to give grace to Adam Lanza than to you. Yep. It's easier for you to give grace to the guy that killed your daughter than yourself. Do you really believe that? I have. I struggle to just say that out loud. Do you really believe that? 
it has been easier to, because that I understand. This I don't understand. I don't understand this. I don't understand how I could not have a daughter. I don't understand. I don't understand this. I can give grace to what I understand. Mm. And that I understand. I under- I've read enough books. I've worked with enough families. I have. I know this kid. I didn't know him, but I absolutely know him because I had tens of others in my practice like him. And I have tens of other Nancy Lanzas. This I don't understand. I'm trying to make sense of it. And I'm trying to have love when in spite of not making sense. And when I can remember to have grace, there are days I can't remember. But I'm working on it. So I said, I'm going to be posting more more pictures. And I didn't say, and I hope that's okay. I said, my husband likes my baby. I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> That is the perfect, com- the perfect comment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think this all comes. You got to remember too that Adam Lanza's story didn't start until fourteen. Yeah. Our stories, your story didn't start the day your mom died. My no. story didn't start the way, the day Anna died. So we have we're carrying, and that's the thing. Yeah. Grief explodes the trauma that you may have carried. Yeah. From when you were very young. So if you didn't deal with stuff before, all this other stuff, this isn't, this is everything together. So that complicates the grief journey. That how you survive it, how you work through it, is also influenced by everything that happened in your life before. Mm-hmm. And people don't, that's why no one can have one grief path. That's why it's mm-hmm. not a one size fits all uh, um, model. For grieving. Mm-hmm. Grief is as individual as a fingerprint. And you would never say, you know what? I don't like your fingerprint. I want your your <laughs> no. finger, fingerprint needs to be more like Carla's fingerprint. Yeah. Um, neither should the grief journey because it's influenced no. by so many external factors. So. It is. So what are you working on now to help you kind of... Lots of therapy. Understand you. <laughs> Lots yep. of therapy. Yep. Lots of therapy on how Anna's death is both tragic and... Um, incredulous and unbelievable and horrific and also I have this incredible therapist who is helping me see and this is going to sound strange um, helping me find the gifts in what I am allowing her to teach me in her absence Mm. maybe that mommy counts maybe that mommy doesn't have to make everyone happy and take care of everyone Maybe that mommy can be the love wins lady and have a fight with a family member. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that it is the story of and and not either or. That was so beautifully said. I Accepting believe, the gifts. I, I believe you're gonna find that. I, I feel like you're you're like you're in it right now. Like I see it. I feel it when you're talking about it and you talk about yourself. Um, I don't think you're going to be lost for much longer, you know? Like, I think you're, you're, you're on your way to finding yourself and who you are truly, you know, through all this because this is who you are now. You're a changed woman. And you're never, you don't, it's a sad part about grief, right? You don't get to go back. And mm-hmm. that's hard because your friends not only lose that loved one that you're grieving, they've lost you because you are not the same. No. You are transitioning into this Mm-mm. new person and nobody knows what the heck is happening. Mm-mm. No, it's very... I remember my ex-husband, when I lost my mom, 
couple months after, he says, you are not the same woman I married. I completely changed after she died. Bingo. Completely. I was a completely different person. Exactly. Yeah. There is no way you can have experience a loss, losses like ours. No. And be the same person. It does fundamentally change you. And you know, I have to say, I haven't said it yet, so I'll say it now. I am incredibly grateful to my husband who was able to see through all that stuff and go, oh, you're still fundamentally there, but now I have to accept this new person, just like I have to accept the new person in him. That's a gift that a lot of married people don't give each other mm-hmm. through grief. Um, it's an exception. It's, an, it's, it's rare. It is rare. Because you married one person. Yeah. You both married two <laughs> different people. And then yes. now you guys are both two different people. And the fact that you, both being new people, still can love each other and honor each other and respect each other and stay it's a big married deal. is a huge it's a big deal. deal. And it's a decision every day. And plus we were 17 when we met. So what the heck do we know? Right. What the heck do you know when you're 17? It's not crazy. Got married at 25. What the heck did we know when we were 25? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Um, But we've got this outstanding child. Mm -hmm. You do. We have two, but right here in front of us, we have this one, and he is, um, he's just really special. Now, one thing I do want to know about is tell me about the Grammys. What was that like? Um, So... Awesome, right? What an honor. Yay, the Grammys. For the album you wrote, because your child has seven bullets in her. So that was the Grammys. Mm. The Grammys was, win or lose, you still don't have a daughter. And you're not like anybody else here. Because everybody else is here, and they wrote these albums, not because they lost a child. It's full joy. And you get maybe 25% joy, maybe 40 on a good day. Mm. So was it beautiful? Was it amazing? Was it lots of glitz and glamour and dressing up? And yeah, but we still got to, had to go back to the hotel and one, one, you know, reservation for three. Yeah. So that's what, and I think people get confused when they see us on TV, when they see us doing these things, it's kind of like, oh, they're making it. Or that's awesome. Mm. It's like it's like what you said about mm. the house. Mm. Yeah, you're it's so lucky. What you, you said got about house. the house. Yeah, yeah. Lucky to have the house. You wish you wish you had a mom. Yeah. Here mm. with you. Yeah. In the flesh. Yeah. Because you do have a mom. She's yep. just not here in the flesh. Yeah. So it's kind of like that. That's what the Grammys are like. Yeah. Do you feel like everyone knew, looking at you, knew who you were, what your story was? Do you feel like? A lot of people do. A lot of people do. Yeah. A lot of people know, and it's both beautiful and heartbreaking. I'm so grateful when people know because that means they didn't forget. They didn't forget Sandy Hook. They didn't forget that Anna. You know, that's great. So, um, and at the same time, it's it's tough. So. Yeah, because then we go back to what we've even started the whole conversation with is people's comfort discomfort I don't know what do I say something do I acknowledge do I an argument with your husband over you know the frozen vegetables in aisle nine of stop and shop you're the love wins lady and you hear you're like yeah no like we still argue like you left your you left your drawers on the freaking bedroom floor again you know like it's 
It's that kind of thing. Yeah. So, but I, you know, I hope at the end of this that people realize that, you know, like it was Maya Angelou that said, we're more alike than we are on the lake. Mm-hmm. Although you may not connect to our grief journeys, right? People connect, hopefully, to the humanity of our walk and, um, and just sit with us there. What a perfect place to end on. I, I think you shed a lot of light on your situation and what you've been through in the past few years and, and before that. Um, you painted a very vivid picture of your life that I'm honored to be sitting across from you being told this all. Well, I didn't know what a podcast was, <laughs> and um, I had never met you before, but if there was a place to tell the whole story, I thought this would be the good place to do it. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your trust. You. It means a lot. Thank it really you. means a lot. And I cannot thank you enough for coming in and sharing your story. And we'll see you next week. Yeah. All right. I'm excited. I'm really, really excited. And hopefully we can maybe share some of those photos on the site once I get it up. That would be great. Yeah, I would love to thank do that. Thank you, Carla. You're so welcome. Thank you. As of the recording of the podcast, Nelba, Jimmy, and Isaiah were not quite ready to do a family portrait without Anna. So they never made the Mother's Day specials, but hopefully in the future they will. If you'd like to contribute money to the Partners School Initiative, you can mail a check to the Anna Grace Project, care of the Partner Schools Initiative, P.O. Box 3332, Newtown, Connecticut, 06470. Be sure to check out Jimmy Green's album, Beautiful Life, on iTunes. I'm going to leave you here with a track called Saludos, Come Thou Almighty King, which features Anna Grace singing towards the end.